You know, you know what's cool, Paul? What's cool, Fonda? Pants with pockets. Yes. Yes. I don't get it. Because <laughs> all men's pants have pockets. That I do get. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All right. Uh, it is it is seasonal um, cold. It is chilly out, and uh, and the art scene is in full swing. Fonda. Yes, and I have um, I have a little bit of the sniffles because uh, I I worked uh, near the uh, near the front door for the Tanya Tagat concert for about two hours on nice. on, on Thursday. Just you know checking the guest list, um, and uh, it was cold, and I think I caught a cold, but uh, yeah. Tis, tis the season, yeah. as they say. Um, but we also caught two shows, or I guess one of us uh, caught two shows. One of us caught a show together, I guess. So uh, what did we see this week, Fonda? Uh, well, the show that we saw together was called um, was by a company called Atacalari. Their show was called Bina Vinyasa, and that was part of the Brian Webb Dance Company season. And we saw it at the Trifo Theater. Have you been to that theater before? Uh, just once before. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, new new venues like real pretty. Um, so, well, yeah. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a setup? What did the what did the show sort of look like to begin with? <laughs> okay, so we had uh, seven dancers. This is a company from India, mm-hmm. uh, Bangalore. Bangalore, and uh, we had seven dancers. Uh, white floor, white background uh, for projections, and uh, it started with seven dancers crouched behind white boxes. And then uh, movements sort of began, but also uh, a lot of multimedia uh, also began. There was lots of projection playing out um, during the show. And it started with uh, sort of a a motif, which reoccurred throughout. Yeah, there was lots of multimedia. And uh, it started with one of the sort of recurring motifs, I'd say, that popped up, which was um, these projections of all of these symbols, a lot of them religious, some of them numerical, some of them recognizable, uh, shifting between each other, sort of this like spray of of, uh, symbols coming out across the screen. Uh, and that was sort of thematically part of what the piece was. Is that not correct, Fonda? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that overall the piece was supposed to be kind of about disconnection and the digital world and, um, you know, just sort of, um, yeah, how how social ties are, are kind of, you know, um, affected by uh, digitalization, I guess. Well, I found really, um, I mean, I found the projections kind of interesting because they were very, they were very 3D looking. They were, other than the symbols, the, especially in particular, the religious symbols, were, which are very weighted in themselves usually. Um, there was kind of a lot of sort of like electric string and like, weird uh bark i felt i felt like it looked a little bit sort of lynchian at times but maybe not as maybe not quite as as um like ideologically deep as as what i would expect lynch to be sure yeah i saw in 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 the show and some of that symbols i saw uh the, the the description talks a little bit about metaphysics and that sort of thing and and shifting between all of these these identities in a way um to me sort of seemed like yeah, about sort of like trying to find a find a place or find something stable in a constantly shifting scenario. 
Um, that said, we talked about the projections a little bit. Uh, how would you describe the movement and the, the dancers, Fonda? Um, I found the movement really interesting. The, so the founder and artistic director of Atakalari, his name is Jayachandran Palaji. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I tried. Um, and so he has a very interesting background. Um, yeah, dancer and choreographer, and his, his sort of mandate is to bring through traditional physical wisdom, um, innovation, and technology. Um, they, so he explores a lot of these ideas. The, the dance that he has um, a lot of classical training in is Bharatanatyam and Katak dancing. He also has um, training in a certain type of um, martial art from India uh, that I don't recall the name of right now, but you could see influences of all of those things in the dance, even though the movement lent to the very contemporary side of things. Sure. So, so how did some of that more traditional movement play out in in the dance versus sort of some of the the contemporary uh, movement? How did the, how did those pair together? We think in this piece, given sort of some of the ideas we've talked about. Well, some of the parts that I really enjoyed most in the dance were the ones that looked sort of like the most classical Bharatanatyam parts. Those are the parts where you have sort of the crouched legs, the flexed feet, the very um, the very pretty gestures with the hands, um, sort of flashing with the eyes back and forth. There's there's this one movement that the these dancers often do and it's a usually a female dancer will touch her face on like just that kind of like her jawbone at both sides and do like sort of an eye movement at the same time and it's very it looks very coy um but it's so it's just so immediately memorable when you see it and it's just like yes that's what that's one of the key like signature beauties of indian dance is just this movement of the eyes Great, yeah. Um, one thing that, that stood out to me, Fonda, as we were watching this was uh, I was having uh, at points sort of uh, a difficulty connecting, I think, emotionally with, with the material that was going on. Um, we've been doing this for a while. I feel like I have a, a bit of a sense of, of contemporary dance and, and patterns and things like this. And uh, it seemed like it was it was shifting so much in, in style and, and tone. And the score, which sort of like the, the digital um, projections was very, very Lynchian in a way. There was a lot of static. Um, one thing that did really well was it was in 3D. There was full surround sound, so yeah. there were these sort of sometimes rolling waves of, of, of sound. But uh, yeah, I found it sometimes hard to connect with uh, the the intent or the emotion behind some of the movement. In in those more traditional moments, I think it came clearly uh, to me, but there were there were other moments where I felt a bit a bit lost. Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, if you look at the at the program, you see a, this page of collaborators on it. Um, you know, there's the choreography. They had a dramaturg from Spain, um, a composer and sound designer from Germany. The digital and projections were uh, from uh, Luca Brinci from Italy. Um, plus a list more of musical collaborators, lighting design, um, and then you know, I'm sure that the seven performers also had kind of like a weight in it, um, in the in the in the um, creation of the piece. What was, I, I agree with you that what was kind of tough about it was that it was broken into about a dozen different parts and they all seemed really, they all seemed like they were moving through things very quickly and that there wasn't something to carry you from one to the other. Um, even if each piece was about sort of like a different idea, I didn't really get the sense of like, how am I supposed to tie this all together? How, you know, we watch a lot of non-narrative dance, um, and this was not really narrative until I'd say the very last few moments. Yeah. Um, 
and even with the even with the symbols being called back to at the end it was just kind of i i'm going to i'm going to go out there and say like i think i think i didn't get it wow <laughs> and i don't get it first Whoa. um I, get, I don't get a lot of stuff let's be honest <laughs> sure um yeah there was one movement i think that was a bit of a, a through line for a couple of those segments and it was the same one that sort of opened the show which was sort of everyone was crouching and then this sort of wave of static sound came and everyone was almost bowled over by it. Mm -hmm. Like everyone in, in unison sort of rolled backwards uh, over themselves. And that happened a few times in the show. But you're right, there was sort of this, at the very end, there was this very uh, almost narrative moment of connection between these two dancers where they, uh, someone was actually holding the other person sort of in a red light. And that was maybe the one of the first moments of actual physical connect. Yeah, yeah. Of course, between a man and a woman, you know, and they have they have almost a little fight scene first. And then there's a moment of the connection that closes the piece. Um, the other movement that I found was very interesting was that I couldn't. I couldn't reference it to a lot of other things that I've seen before was it was kind of almost like um they're bent over at the waist and it's sort of like a strongman move where they were like they were doing this really sort of like heavy pulsed breathing um and what was interesting is that it, it was very centered in the shoulders and it's um in uh, particularly in western dance or ballet based dance you never really see women's weight in their shoulders um and so this this was sort of just like kind of like a very almost like awkward they would they would do this breathing and they bring their arms down and then they'd kind of like flutter back up through the, through the breath almost um, pumping a few times like with their arms everyone yeah yeah so it was kind of like they're like they're amping up for something and then you know it just yeah, it was it was just sort of like a very unique movement that I hadn't seen before in a group sort of dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe if we think about the themes and how our feelings on this dance and how it all um, came together. Yeah, I think maybe if some of this is about searching for that sense of connection, uh, maybe maybe it is a, you know, in, intent that sort of it's only in those last moments that we find it when these two people are actually connected mm -hmm. physically. Um, but and everything else is sort of these searching attempts almost to find these like what what is connection? What does that look like? How do we connect in these groups or this size of group or this size of group? Yeah. And what was um, what was also kind of interesting was that for for a company of seven dancers, um, there was very little physical contact between the performers at all. It was you know, it was momentary when it did happen until those last final moments. Um, also, the second piece we've seen in two weeks that uses some kind of like row of boxes and only feet in the in the performance moment. oh yeah yeah with the uh with the alberta ballet the the uh lbm leonard cohen show yeah there yeah. was there was legs as well yeah and dance me bjm's dance me they had that weird segment with the with the legs and the feet and then then in this one it was almost the exact same scene these boxes are sort of lined up against the the back wall and the dancers have their feet on top of them their rest of their body is obscured by the box um and so and then they just do a little foot dance and i think in that part it was meant to be a little bit light and funny yeah. um but yeah, um, in any case, yeah, that one was kind of uh, this company has never been here before, has never performed in Edmonton before. Um, and it was just kind of interesting to see, you know, like, yes, it's a big international collaboration. And um, yeah, I, I, I think I might be interested to see more of their work. Maybe I would be able to put things more in context um, with what we were seeing yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting to see um, that sort of fusion of sort of traditional and contemporary and digital and, and what that looked like. Um, yeah, absolutely. Also, probably some of my favorite costumes for a contemporary dance show that I've seen. That, right. I mean, I, I talked about the pants. I love the pants, but also just the wrapping. Um, 
of the body uh, and how the the male dancers and the female dancers had their shirts were essentially just reversed, mesh in front and mesh in back, yeah. and then the rest of it had that kind of wrapping around it. I thought I thought it was a really neat way to actually bring the traditional elements of the costume with the pants, with the sort of like the the pants that have bellows in them, mm -hmm. um, and then a much more contemporary looking topside. Totally. Yeah. Um, Fonda, now it seems like it's a good time for an ad. New to the Alberta Podcast Network this month is Emily Missed Out, where hosts Emily and Brianne watch classic pop culture-filled movie gems that Emily has never seen. Join them as they try to determine if she missed out. Recent episodes include discussions on Dead Poet Society, The Big Lebowski, and Point Break, the 1991 version, of course. To listen to Emily Missed Out and find out more about all, our AP, all of our pals on APN, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. I love Point Break. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've missed out. Oh, my God. Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves. Like, what? What? Oh, gee. Okay. We're next weekend, Paul. <laughs> Great. Um, so last weekend, uh, I went and saw a, a, a day, a full day of, of the Play the Fool Festival, which is sort of Edmonton's uh, only uh, clown-dedicated festival or clown or performance art in, in that very physical sense. They're also a bit of burlesque, a little bit of magic, but... Um, yeah, and saw a bunch of stuff there. I wanted to ask you in particular about the discussion um, that you saw, I think, um, on the last day of the festival, and it was about consent in clowning, which is kind of fascinating in itself. Yeah, so it was a panel of performers at the festival, uh, curated by the, the festival, or sort of led by the festival director, Christine Lesiak, and it was talking about that idea of consent in interactive performance. And when we have a show that relies on interacting with your audience, um, whether that's burlesque or clown or whatever the form, how do you get consent in that moment when you also need people to do something with you for the show to, to continue? And so it was interesting to see uh, a bunch of different performers talking about what that looked about, looked at, uh, looked like is the word, <laughs> um, in terms of uh, finding people. Some people do pre-show crowd work and get a sense of who's sort of game to play. Um, some people are just careful about sort of selecting and sort of pay attention to responses and then also sort of check in on those responses as they're going. The artists talked about sort of good examples and, and bad examples. And So um, I, as an audience member, I am ter terrified, horrified often by the thought of audience participation. So, you know, what um, what are some of the, the good things that you can do if you want to let someone know that you're not into it or that you want to get up there? Uh, like honest, honest response, just sort of like, you know, not making eye contact, not seeming eager, just let your, let your body language do your talking in a, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. One thing I thought that was really interesting that maybe didn't come up was, uh, as much in this discussion was the, the difference between implicit consent, which a lot of people were talking about and sort of like gauging people's reactions as you go and sort of sussing, sussing it out and explicit consent, just... Uh, especially in an age of sort of enthusiastic consent and, and, and where we are today, um, getting that sense of who uh, who is down and 100% down. Maybe they just have a very naturally um, enthusiastic body language, you know, and but they don't. They aren't interested in how we sort of find that divide. And so I think about like a show like Blind Date, which is a, a show by Rebecca Northen, which tours around. And is uh, a one-woman show. Um, I think it's all been on uh, women who have that role so far. It's sort of 
played in, in multiple places with multiple people now, but uh, they go on a 90 minute date with one audience member, the whole, the whole show. And so there's sort of like a half an hour sort of mingle before the show where uh, Mimi, the clown, the character is getting a sense of sort of who might be interested and, and, and fun and then pulls someone up. But in that show, aside from that moment of like, okay, you've sort of sussed it out, but you don't want to give away who you're bringing up until you bring them up. Uh, they have something called the timeout box, which is sort of on stage, a place where if the person feels uncomfortable, they can go. And it sort of is an, a place where it's okay to break the reality. It's sort of this meta place where it's like, okay, you can talk about the show as it's happening. Um, and that just seems like a very brilliant device for getting explicit consent in, in a show that relies so heavily on one person from the audience who didn't know they were going to perform when they when they came on stage that day there's an unpaid performer <laughs> yeah yeah also also that um i want i have a question for you about um consent between performers um as an improviser um what sort of steps do you take either pre-show or during a show to make sure that you're getting consent from your perfor your performers that are in your own company with you uh, we do check-ins before the show where we sort of talk about physical and emotional places where we're at and things we're down for and things we're not. Um, so there's a general sense of what people are willing to engage in, whether that's like, ah, don't lift me up or like, ah, don't kiss me on the face or any of those things. Um, but also all of those things can change in the moment. So sort of finding finding those sort of moments of either implicit consent to be like eye contact. Does this person look comfortable with what they said they were comfortable with two seconds ago or 10 minutes ago? Uh, but also sort of like improv has the luxury of you can sort of meta talk. You can be like, <laughs> I want to do this. Is that okay? And as a performer and also a character, they can they can answer. So you can find those moments to sort of get that that consent. And as an audience member, I've seen I feel like I've seen some of those moments before where they're where they're actually sort of asking you like, is it okay? Can we go there? Can we go there? And it's kind of rewarding to see too, because you know that everyone on stage is still feeling safe and fine. Whereas I think a few years ago, I know that I, I you know, maybe certain shows or companies, you could tell that they weren't really checking in with each other as much as they maybe are now. Sure. And I would say like when I started, uh, you know, more than 10 years ago, oh God, time, time, it flies. Um, that that wasn't the case. But I think um, there's definitely been an effort in the last few years, especially to really make that um, 100% clear and make it less not ambiguous at all. Cool, cool. Um, well, what, what else did you see at Play the Fool? What else happened there? Right. The shows. Um, it was a great festival i i caught sort of one full day of stuff which wasn't everything i missed larry which was sort of one of the headliners which was a solo show by the person who did uh uh the character candy bones at a couple a couple fringes ago uh but um the bills were were one thing that stood out to me was that clown seems like one of those places where people will still go for theatrical magic in a very real sense whether that's uh, in sort of the the horrifying sense of like someone losing their fingers on stage and actually having them lose their fingers on stage and those fingers you know fly around the stage or into the audience or into the audience or um, you know uh, uh, an egg a, like a, a flag come through an egg and wave you know wave surrender at a at a dinner scene. Can't you have to describe the context for that because I think it's I think it's amazing. Great, it was a it was a Winston Churchill turn. Um, and it was sort of like Winston Churchill giving sort of a war speech, but to his breakfast, which was a hard-boiled egg. But yeah, right at the end, this little white flag pops through the egg, and you know the audience lost its mind <laughs> because it's like, uh, yeah, it's one of those places where they'll chase those little moments of like, hmm, how could we do this thing? 
um, rather than mime it or fake it or, or do anything like that. They commit to, to that bit. Uh, but uh, some standouts from the festival as far as the, the bills I saw. The triple bill was amazing. It was a combination of... Uh, a show called The Performance, which was Mike Kennard, who's known as uh, one, uh, one half of Mump and Smoot. He's Mump. He's Mump. <laughs> um, and uh, Candice uh, Berlinguet. Berlinguet, yeah. Berlinguet. Uh, yeah, and it's sort of them as him as a down-and-out pianist and, and her as a, the cabaret singer, and they're trying to revive their, their vaudeville act from years ago, but they're, they're very far gone in a number of ways. Um, and then there was Fruit Bowl from Cabaret Calgary Productions with Valorant Tea, which is sort of a different company they collaborated on, which was a burlesque um, turn with four pieces of fruit, an apple, an orange, a uh, bunch of grapes, and a banana, all uh, peeled, uh, I guess. And corresponding wigs I can see in the program. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, very much so. And then uh, The Daily Deal with Lady, which was sort of like a, a home shopping network celebrity that was just... Um, yeah, it was a really good showcase for the best of clown. Like people have this horrifying mental image of of clown, you know, that's sort of become part of our culture where it's like, oh no, clown, I can't like that because it will be terrifying or awful or I'll get pulled on stage or whatever. And I think uh, as a whole, the show really did a lot to, uh, the whole festival is just like showing how good clown can be and how satisfying it can be as an audience member. I also wanted to say I thought it was uh, really delightful that uh, as a festival it ended with its rookie cabaret. Like that was the festival closing show was sort of these short turns by a number of, of folks. The audience was, you know, packed because it was, it was the ending and that was where the Winston Churchill bit happened, you know, um, and it was just, a, it seemed like a very big celebration of the community both sort of from the travelers who've been there from afar, but this part was a celebration of sort of the people who are here working on Clown in Edmonton. And it was great. Great work. Play the fool. Um, okay, well, and with that, uh, I think it's time for our second ad. The latest episode of the Well Endowed podcast focuses on dignity. Listeners will find out how the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights is helping us understand the privilege of ableism with YAG Dignity Day. And Monica Robson discusses Pilgrim's Hospice and Edmonton's first residential community hospice center. To listen to this and all of the other episodes, visit thewellendowedpodcast.com. Great. Okay. So, well, there were a few things that happened in Edmonton this week that were um, very interesting uh, bits of arts news. The new Royal Alberta Museum opened to much fanfare and um, partying. Um, I haven't been in it yet, and you're shaking your head, so you haven't been in it yet either. No, but it, it was sort of six days of free admission, but you still had to get tickets, and those tickets went very fast because people have been waiting a long time, and they're very happy that it's open now. Yeah. Um, in other news, there were um, a number of Senate appointments to the Canadian Senate. Um, Paula Simons of the Edmonton Journal and Patty Labucan Benson, an author and um, professor, teacher out in Alberta here. Um, so two Alberta appointments out of three. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of chatter when that was announced about uh, Paula in particular um, and how that connects to art news is sort of the sense of in the last few years, uh, she's written a few columns that were very sympathetic to uh, men in the theater community who had done wrong, um, which felt problematic. And I don't know if she's really responded to those those columns uh, since. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, the... 
the general the general consensus was that um, many Edmontonians were really thrilled with this appointment. They think that Paula will be a great senator and do a great job. Um, but she has shown um, sort of like a, like almost being like given a pass um, to some of individuals in the community that have been um, either found guilty of um, bad things um, or or have just been called out and um, you know sort of I guess tried in the court of public opinion more so. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting. I, w- I would, I'm, I'm waiting to see maybe what happens more with it if there ever is a response. But uh, for more, more and more often, I think we're probably going to get people just being more quiet about it and letting the criticism happen. Um, then we will uh, have meaningful response from. You mean in, in Paula's case, like responding to some of this criticism? Yeah, in in, in that sense, you know, um, I think, yeah. I think maybe we'll leave it at that for now. But sure. also, Patty rules. Everyone should read the graphic novel *The Outside Circle*. It is incredible. She is doing incredible things in this community, and I am fucking thrilled she got appointed. Patty is pretty awesome. Full disclosure: I work for Litfest, and she's coming to Litfest. Ha! Great. I do want to give a really special shout out to um, our some of our new patrons who have signed up in the last uh, week. Um, it's great to see. Thanks to Fraser, Liz, Karen, and Alexis uh, who signed up um, to, to to help us out to help us produce the podcast. You guys are awesome. And if anyone else listening wants to do that, you can find out more about our, our Patreon uh, account by searching "I don't get it Yeg Patreon" or going to our our Facebook page or our website. And our show notes, they'll be there too. <laughs> Great. All right, everyone. That's uh, that's this week's show. Um, please, please enjoy the weather out there. Go see the Ram and go see some shows. Bye. Bye. I don't get it. Is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking about love.